0: In, any more we need to add? Father God, thank you so much for being so good, God. I thank you that I can come and... Well, I can tell you thank you. Mr. Norman Smith is in the hospital and had to stay in a hotel and was separated and wasn't doing good at all, but he's home with his wife now. I think about Mr. Ron Newton and, and God, uh, you know, we we were praying and it looked like he might never walk out of that hospital or, or leave there on the top side of this earth. But, God, you made a way, Father. You, you answered prayers. You gave healing. And now he's able to walk up and down stairs and get in the car and go places. And, Lord, I pray you continue to, to bless him and Miss Faye. God, I, Lord, I just pray, Father, you you continue to, to move upon your people here at Faith. You've been good to us, God. You've been so incredibly good to us. We just want to tell you thank you. We want to tell you that we love you. I want to ask you, God, would you move in this place tonight? Lord, I ask you to teach to me first, God. Lord, you know I need your help. I need wisdom. I need knowledge, God. I need your touch. and Lord, I pray you'd teach through me, God, as we look at the letter you gave us here through the hand of Paul to the church at Rome, God. And I pray you'd take this and, and strengthen us with it, God. I pray that your people would be encouraged, God. We love you, Father. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want to turn Romans chapter 8, we left off at a really, really good place. Two weeks ago, I know we had the Awana last week. (coughs) Y'all remind me too to get on to Larry. I forgot all about that. He said Awanas twice up here. And if you say Awanas, he'll scold you for putting an S on in that thing. He said it twice. I just hadn't think about that. But we did Awana last week. I hope it was a blessing to the children. But we left off two weeks ago, verse number 1 of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now... No condemnation. Now, somebody ought to get excited before I even get started teaching. I, I, I can't hardly think of a better verse to read or a better place to start. There is therefore now no condemnation, but then it's to a specific group of people. To them which are in Christ Jesus. How many of you is that? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, so that's a promise, and that's an exciting promise. But it's not a promise to everybody, only to those which are in Christ Jesus. I like being in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I like that. Thank you. You can be be seated. I'm not going to read them all and then go back and read them over again. We'll just kind of read them as we get to them tonight. Um, (coughs) Paul says that we are in Christ. I was reading a little bit in Genesis and and reading how God had told Noah to build that ark there in in chapter 6 and how he just simply did what God told him to do. He was following God. That that put him in the will of God. So so he built the ark and, and he finished everything up. And then just days before the flood came, God told Noah to take your family and go in the ark. Now, we know that they not only went in the ark, but they stood just like we do now. The doors are open. Y'all come on in. Y'all come on in. The the time is coming. For them, it was judgment's coming. The flood's coming. Judgment's coming again. Jesus Christ is coming. It's going to come to a close. But it kept falling on deaf ears. But he kept crying out, whosoever will, let them come. But none of them out there would come. And then the day came when God himself came and closed the door... So that Noah and his family was on the inside. They they were in the ark. They were in the protection of God. That, that's what you and I are in Christ. We we are inside the protective hedge of God. The storm is still going on outside. Somebody said, Amen. Show sure is. All of the clouds have up, the, the flood waters are still rising, the wind is still blowing sin is still rampant all that's still going on out in the world is still destroying lives destroying homes destroying families the the storm is raging out there but we are safe in Christ we we are held in the hand of God that that's that's about as best similitude as I could think of of what we are in Christ it doesn't take us out of the storm it just keeps us afloat during the storm amen Kind of like walking through the fire. We don't get to go around it, but God will carry us through it. We're safe when we're held in the arms of God. We are free from the law of sin and death. We're free, somebody ought to like this, from the penalty of sin and death. We're free in this life from the bondage of sin and death. We have been delivered unto life in Christ. It goes on, verse 3 and 4, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. It's a key word there, weak Through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The law couldn't save us because the flesh was weak. We looked at it before. The law didn't cause us to sin. It just pointed out the sin. But the problem is all the law did was point out the sin. It couldn't do anything to overcome the sin. It couldn't do anything to correct the sin. It couldn't do anything to help us pass the sin. It simply pointed out our mistakes. It made it obvious that we were sinners. It it pointed out the failure. So because of the flesh, we simply couldn't keep the laws of God. God demands absolute perfection. Perfection. Nothing else will do, not anything close, not something in the similitude of, but God requires absolute perfection. And because of the flesh, there's no way that we could keep that law and have absolute perfection, so Jesus came. Jesus came in the flesh, just like you and I. Only thing different was the seed. His seed, the, the father seed was of God, where everyone else seed was of Adam, but he came in the flesh just like you and I. He came in perfect oneness with the Father, and he came in, in oneness with the Holy Spirit where the three are one and the one are three. Jesus never spoke an evil word. Is that crazy? Jesus never did an evil deed. He never thought an evil thought. I don't even know how to comprehend that. I tried to, but I have a driver's license. Many of the false religions of the world today, their problem is that they don't recognize Jesus Christ for who he is. They, they, they call him all different things. Some say he's the first created. The Bible says he's the only begotten. And some say that he, he is one of the angels. He's just a superior angel. But, but many of them say that he is just, he, is a, he was a good man. He is a good example for us to live our life by. that He, he did things good. That, that is completely wrong. He was absolutely perfect. He was absolutely perfect in one with the Father. And yes, his life is an example, but he's so much more than just our example. He is our hope. He is our security. He is our salvation. He is our forgiveness. He is our only sacrifice. He is our propitiation, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on our behalf. He is the torn veil that gives us access into the Holy of Holies. He he is the Passover lamb. He is the blood on the doorpost and the lintel that gives us life over death, that causes the death angel to pass over. He he is our protector. He, He is our healer. Somebody say amen. He is our defender. He is our strength. He, he is our life. He lived an amazing life for us to see. And as amazing as the life of Christ is, it's not the life of Christ that saved us, it's the death of life. It's the death of Christ. It was his death and his resurrection that gives us life. All four of the gospels clearly emphasize the death on the cross as a penalty for our sin. So during the life of Christ. He demonstrated what a perfect life looks like. He, he gave us a perfect example to follow. What he showed us is what a spirit-filled, spirit-led life looks like. Now, this is going to get a lot more personal before we get done. That is our example of what a spirit-filled, spirit-led life looks like. How many of you in here are spirit-filled? And if we don't look like him, then we must not be spirit-led. I don't know. I don't want to get all off into that too deep, but, but we'll, we'll look at him more in just a minute. It is through the miracle of, of the perfect life of Christ and through his atoning death, through, through the miracle of his life-giving resurrection and through the miracle of the Holy Spirit that the life of Christ can be fulfilled in those who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. How many of you have a heart's desire to walk after the Spirit? It is our goal to be like Christ. You know why we can't? Flesh. It just keeps on popping up, keeps on showing up. But I do know this, and I believe everybody in here can be a testimony and agree with me. The more we pray, the more we study, the more we seek God's direction, the more we seek God's will, the more we, we seek God in our life, the less often the flesh wins. I ain't going to say it on never win. It may and yours, but don't mind. But the, the closer we walk with God, and the more we try to follow that example, the more we surrender yielding to the Holy Spirit, the more we allow Him to lead our life, the less likely we are to fail. If we are Spirit-led, then we would completely Spirit-led, then we'd be without failure because the Spirit's never going to fail. Verse number 5, he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So you've got you to make up your mind what you want in life. you got to make up your mind what you're after. Do you want things of this world or do you want the things of the Spirit? Because what you seek after is what you're going to find. That's i sound asleep. What you seek after is what you're going to find. If you're looking for the things of the world, you're not going to find the things of God. If you're looking for the things of God, God will show up and give you the things of God and show you the things of God. So we're going to find what we're looking for. They that are after the flesh, mind. The things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. If we want to be led by the Spirit, it's up to us to get up in the morning. If you got to get up a little earlier than normal, then you got to get up a little earlier than normal because you got to have time to pray. you got to have time to talk with the Father. you got to have time to read His Word so that He can talk to you before you go out and start your day so that He can give you some instructions. So there has to be a time. We have to, you know, we do what we want, right? If we want it, we'll go there. If we want it bad enough, we'll get there. So if we we have to get up early, if there's something bad enough, we'll get up at any time and drive however far we have to drive to get to where we have to get to to do what we want to do. The same thing has to be true for our spirit-led life. If we desire it, if we seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if we truly desire it and we seek after it, God's not going to hide that from us. He's not going to withhold that from us. They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now, in chapter 7, I don't know if you remember, we pointed out we looked an awful lot of times at words like I and me and my, those words were used all throughout chapter 7. Pretty, pretty dominant words in that portion of the letter. But when we get here in, in chapter 8, what we find is that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times. It becomes the focal point of this particular portion of the letter. The number 8, in chapter 8, the number 8 represents new beginnings. The number 19 is faith. Our new beginning began with faith. Our new beginning proceeds with faith. Everything about our new beginning is faith and faith alone. Now, there's a lot of examples in the Old Testament, and this this should encourage us to try to walk with God and hold on to God. I'm not using these to discredit these men because I I, I post them up way too often. But it's important that, that we see we, we looked at the heroes of faith Sunday morning, right? We were at Hebrews chapter 11 looking at hero, heroes of faith. And, and even these names that I'm about to call, these are heroes of faith. They're the ones that, that made the chapter. They're the ones that made the book. But even in heroes of faith, sometimes we miss the mark. When God promised Abraham... A son in his old age. Apparently, he thought God wasn't able to uphold that promise. Apparently, he thought Sarah was a little too old, or they weren't going to be able to make that happen. So he went and got the handmaid, the Egyptian handmaid named Hagar, and he had a son that wasn't the promised son. Still got problems out of that line of generation over on that side of the world today. That that was a failure. That that was that was a. A leading of the flesh. That, that was a, a carnal-minded thought. When Lot was given the choice, they had great herds, they had great flocks. He was blessed. Number one, looking back, if he was to leave his father's house, I don't believe Lot should have been with him in the first place, but that's beside the point. Lot was with him, and their, their herdsmen were fighting over land and grazing rights. And, and so they said, hey, hey, Lot, pick whatever you want. I'll take the rest. That's what Abraham is the man of God. Abraham is the one that was given. Um, of the, of that whole dispensation period of the dispensation period of the promise, Abraham is the focal point. He's the one that the promise is given to. And, and the promise is the promised land. Leave the Father's house. Go to a land that I will show thee. And there he's going to make his descendants as the stars of the heavens, as the sands of the seashore, innumerable. That he is the promised land. He is at the promised location. He's the one that got the promise, but he looked at Lot and said, you choose. Pick which way you're going to go, have what you want, and I'll go the other. Lot chose Sodom. That was a fleshly decision. It started out looking towards Sodom. Before you know it, he's closer to Sodom. Before it's said and done, he's in Sodom, and then he's at the gate as the gatekeeper of Sodom. Wrong choices will multiply themselves if you don't turn around and get back to the book. Moses, in, in his own efforts while he was there in Egypt before straying and going away and God calling him back, in his own efforts to protect his people, he murdered an Egyptian. Can, can I tell you, it doesn't matter if someone's beating your friend. The Bible still says, I shall not kill. So, so that it wasn't right to kill someone in order to protect someone. But that's what happens when we try to do something In our flesh, when we try to handle a situation in our own way, Joshua, the the great leaders of the armies of the children of God that that went in and took over the promised land and and drove out all of them, he made a deal with the Gibeonites. God didn't send him over there to make a deal. God sent him over there to to take things. Solomon, you, you look at all the... All he asked for was wisdom, and God gave him everything to go with it. But then he chose to marry women from other countries who had other gods who brought false gods into the house of god that says i will have no other gods before me and it became his downfall it was a fleshly decision jonah was given a clear direction i want you to go to nineveh i want you to go tell them to repent he got on a ship and he headed in the exact opposite direction Toward Tarshish because he didn't want them to repent. He didn't like them. They were rude to the Jewish people. They, they treated them, they abused them bad, so, so he didn't want to go there. That is a fleshly decision. Peter that we do right here, um, when Malcolm comes up, and they come to arrest Jesus, he cuts his ear off. Peter, in a moment of flesh, chose to trust in his sword, thought that the might of his sword was stronger than the power of the Son of God. When we get caught up in fleshly things, we begin to think that we can deal with things, and we begin to handle things by our own might, but we have no might. Later on, he winds up, we did it on this side, over around the fire barrel, and, and he denies that he even knows Jesus Christ. Those are examples of being led by the flesh from the same men that are heroes of faith. Some of, some of the greatest names in the Bible, some of the greatest heroes. You've heard me say many times, failure isn't fatal unless it's final. If, if we make a mistake, get back up and get back on it. If you, if you get called off if something in the flesh pulls you off, at some point it's up to you, turn around and be led by the Spirit. The world will pull you away. If you think the world's going to give up on you, you're wrong. You think you've been saved long enough that the world has given up on trying to pull you out? You're wrong. You think you've been saved and following God long enough that the world's no longer going to try to destroy your marriage, no longer going to try to take your children, no longer going to try to tear your home apart? If you think that, that the devil ain't trying to tear Christian marriages apart, JB's sitting right back there. Go talk to him and find out how much counseling he does for Christian marriages. The devil is never going to give up on destroying you. The flesh ain't never going to stop pulling on you. This is a daily battle. But those who are led by the Spirit, how are you led by the Spirit? You get up in the morning and you seek it. You seek the Spirit first. The mind of Christ. The only way to avoid mistakes and to be led by the Spirit is to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2 16, he says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The only way to have the mind of Christ is to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and control our mind. It, it is to allow the Holy Spirit to direct our thoughts. How many of you, 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 you ever think stuff and you just stop? I mean, what are you doing, Lord? Please help me control my mind. Please help me control mind. My mind, I just thought the tongue was a battle. The tongue ain't nothing because it's got to get through here to get to here. And, and somewhere between here and here, sometimes there's an emergency brake to catch it. A lot of times there's not. I'm sorry. But a lot of times there is. But, but if I could just control what's in there, it, it would be a game changer. It's the prayer God, help me c- control my mind. It is to be led By the Holy Spirit that He controls our thoughts. Verse 8 and 9 says, So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That means if we're thinking things that aren't godly, then we can't be pleasing God at that moment. But you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. There's a great difference in, in being in the flesh and being in the Spirit. If we surrender everything to the Holy Spirit, if we could surrender everything to the Holy Spirit and be truly, fully, completely led by the Holy Spirit, then we would be like Christ. We would never think an evil thought. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm looking forward to that in heaven. Just I don't have to argue with my own self. We would never do an, an evil deed. We would never speak an unkind word if we truly were completely surrendered and completely led by the Holy Spirit of God. Jeremiah chapter 17, the Bible says in verse 9 and 10 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The heart is deceitful above all things. Even the best, most well-intended believer... Cannot live a life pleasing to God except to be led by the Holy Spirit. We are evil on our best day. There's none good, no, not one. There's nothing good in us outside of the Holy Spirit. We are evil by nature, but by faith we can be pleasing to God. That's awesome. It's my prayer. God, help me do something one time to make you smile. Help, help me do something on this day every morning. Help me do something on this day to make you smile. Help me do something on this day that be a blessing to somebody. Help me on this day let somebody see Christ in me. Give me an opportunity to lead somebody to the Lord. Give me something to do that'll make you smile. But it's up to us. We have to be willing to, to yield our will to the will of the Father. When you pray that, you, you also have to be willing to go to work a different way or stop at a different gas station or, or go to a different grocery store or get a drink out of a different drink machine because if God's directing you that way, it's because he has something for you there. You ask for it, and God's given you that, but you have to be directed. you you got go to go to where it is. He goes on in verse 10 and says, If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. The words mortal and immortal they always deal with the flesh. They, they have everything to do with the flesh. First Corinthians 15 says that when this mortal shall have put on immortality, the mortal body is still subject to death according to the law of sin. Hebrews 9 says, appointed unto man once to die. This physical body is still going to die. But our spirit has been made alive in Christ indwelled by the Holy Spirit. At the resurrection, this spirit will be clothed again by a body that will also be immortal. I'm excited about that day. Uh, I'm I'm excited about about heaven, but I'm really excited about the resurrection when we all take our glorified body and we spend all of eternity with Christ. But in verse number 11 there, he says, The spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. That's one of the two times in this particular letter here um, that Paul uses the name of Jesus alone, not Christ, not the Son of God, but just Jesus. He's making sure that we understand that just like the physical body of Jesus that died and was raised from the dead, we too will be raised by the same Spirit. It's not a new spirit. It's not another spirit. It's the same Spirit that raised Christ that lives in you. Not even one. Woohoo! The same Power—the same Spirit that resurrected the Son of God—is the same Spirit, the same power that lives in you. That's the same Spirit that He's talking about. Guidance—I don't get too far ahead of myself in the study, but Chapter Twelve says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed." By the renewing of your mind, I'm looking forward to that, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Crowd participation. How many of you are saved? You better have your hand up if you don't, we are doing an altar call. How many of you know that when you got saved, you got filled with the Holy Spirit of God? You didn't get a little dose that day. You ain't working your way to get full. You didn't stop by and get a dollar and a quarter's worth and get some more when you do something for God. On the day you got saved, you were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You, you were, you were dwelled. Now, if you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit and God in the Spirit lives in you, how many of you know that you are the temple of God? Y'all better pay attention over there now. I'm asking questions. I'm looking at hands. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know you not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own soul? We know that we're the temple of God, right? We know that we're filled with the Holy Spirit on the day that we got saved, that the Holy Spirit moved in, and we know according to the Scripture without a shadow of a doubt that we are the temple of God. Everybody believe that. Anybody have a problem with that, raise your hand. If you're not the temple of God, raise your hand. If not, we'll move on. How many of you have ever heard on this planet of a king of any country, any continent, any place at any time? How many of you have ever heard of a king who does not have control over his temple. You know, Esther, when Mordecai told her, you need to go talk to the king, they're going to kill all the Jews. You need to go talk to the king. She said, I can't do that. She knew that if you even went into the courtyard before the king. Hey, I ain't talking about walking up in his bedroom. And she was the queen, by the way. If you're even called in the courtyard where the king can see you in his courtyard, and you haven't been called and asked to come in that courtyard, you can be killed. i call that pretty good control over your temple, wouldn't you? So, so there's no place. There's no closets. There's no hidden rooms. There's no place within the temple. There's nothing within a temple that any earthly king does not have complete control of his temple. Do we agree with that? Then why would Almighty God, creator of the universe, who created this temple and then purchased the temple that he himself created, why would he have anything less than complete control over his temple? That's what God wants out of you and I. We are the temple. We, we are children of God. Now, Paul, Paul spends the rest of this chapter talking about spiritual maturity for his Many are led by the Spirit. Now I'm about out of time. Let me just, let me just give you this. And as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have received, uh, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Somebody ought to be excited by all that. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. It's the simple facts of the scriptures. In order for you and I to be sons of God, we must be born again. We've obviously been born in the flesh because we're all sitting here. So, so we obviously have the first birth. But in order to be children of God, there must be a second birth. The first birth made us children of our parents. It is the second birth when we are born again. That's the one that makes us children of God. John chapter 1 says in verse 12, As many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Chapter 3, Jesus said in verse number 5, And John, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone... That is born of the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.22. And seeing that you have purified your souls. In obeying the truth through the Spirit. Unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another. With a pure heart fervently. Being born again. Not of corruptible seed. But of incorruptible. By the word of God which liveth. And abideth forever. Now the scriptures go on and on. I don't have time. I'm about out of time. But they go on to emphasize the necessity of being born again in order to be a child of God. But that's not what Paul begins to deal with here with the rest of the chapter. He's already talked about salvation. And here he deals with the born again. But but then he moves on. And and the, the rest of this chapter, really from about verse 14 on, he begins to deal with what we would call spiritual maturity. Uh-oh. That, that, that means growing in Christ. That, that means growing up in our walk with the Lord. You know, when all of us in here, all of us in here was a child. Most of us in there have a child. When our children were growing up, we loved them, cared for them, we taught them. We provided for them. We, we did everything that we could because it was our desire for them to grow up and become responsible adults. So we did everything we could to get them to grow up. God has the same desire for you and I. You, you know, First Corinthians chapter 3, Paul seems to be maybe a little irritated with the church because of their lack of spiritual growth. He, he says in verse number 1, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. It's God's will that we be saved, but that's not the end of our life. That's the beginning of our life. That's where old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. But we're not supposed to stay right there. When our children were small, we had no intentions of, of fixing bottles. And I, y'all got a lot of easier stuff now than, than what we had. It gets a little easier. Matter of fact, the ones in my age had it, had it harder than, than we did. But the ones today got it even easier, like everything's disposable and simple. But nonetheless, we had no intentions of heating bottles for the rest of their lives. We had no intentions of changing diapers for the rest of their life. We expected them to grow up. We taught them simple things at first, like, "No, that, that's hot, that'll burn you. We taught them words like "no," one syllable words," and that's good. And as they got older, we taught them how to walk, and we taught them how to talk, and we taught them how to go to the bathroom in the right place, so we wouldn't have to keep changing the diapers. We, we taught them the things that they needed to know to grow up. God wants the same thing out of us. God don't plan on spending your entire spiritual life changing your diaper spoon-feeding you, popping a pacifier in your mouth to shut your whining up. God expects us to grow in the grace and knowledge. Oh, yeah, they ain't nothing like a good wine in Baptist church. God wants us to grow in the grace and the knowledge. God wants us to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. All that wine and all that carnal, that's the old stuff. If, if we've been saved five years, we ought to at least act like a five-year-old. We ought not be still pooping in our britches. If we've been saved 15 years, Lord God, don't act like a 15-year-old. That's a terrible example. <laughs> Let's just get off that illustration because I can see right off that one it ain't going to work. God expects us to grow day by day, week by week, year by year, by reading the book, by seeking his faith, by, by surrendering to the will of the Spirit. Every time God gives us something to do and we do what God gave us to do through the Spirit, that's called surrender. And that's a little bit more growth. That That's a little bit more in line, a little bit more in tune. Well, I'm out of time. Verse 14 there, he said, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He goes on into the act of adoption. Um, Lord willing, that looks like a really good place to, to pick up next week anyway. So Lord willing, we'll pick up here around verse 14 next week. Um, we don't really have a lot of time left to pray either. They, they usually say be out somewhere around about 8 under this time they're going to release your kids and they expect me to let y'all come get them. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to pray and, and Lord willing we'll pick up right here. Isn't it awesome to be called a child of God? To be called sons of God? Isn't it awesome to truly have a, a spirit that loves us and leads us talks to us Cares for one. One that one that when you're you're even thinking about something, say mm 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 mm. Don't go over there. Don't don't do don't don't not do that. That's not just good conscience. That's the spirit, the spirit that dwelleth in us. That that is the Holy Spirit inside the temple, sweeping out some dust and cleaning out some closets and getting some light into some dark places. Continuing to clean us up. I'm thankful. That we are the temple of God and that he loves us enough to just keep on working on us. If y'all have as bad as I am, we should have been thrown away a long time ago since we got saved. But he just keeps on with his goodness and with his grace and his mercy. We just keep on telling him thank you. Keep on reading the book. Keep on praying. Keep on walking after the spirit, not after the flesh. God's going to use us. We can't pray and ask God to use us as a light during a dark time. That's praying according to His will. We can't pray according to His will and expect it to not happen. We continue to pray, God, use us. God, use this church to be a light to a dark world. God's going to use us, and God's going to use this church to be a light to a dark world. Amen. God, thank you so, so much that we could be called sons of God. Lord, I stand amazed that you could love someone like me. I stand amazed that you would love us in spite of us, God. Lord, thank you for goodness, for grace, for mercy, for salvation. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit that indwells, that that lives in us, that, that you would allow your spirit to live inside of us, God. Thank you so much. God, I pray for everybody in this place. Lord, I pray you'd give them clear guidance and direction and wisdom. Fill them with your spirit. I pray for the families represented in this place. God, will you bless their homes, their marriages, their lives, their families, everything about them. God, bless their finances, bless, bless their 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 material situations, but above all, bless their spiritual life, God, and help each one of us to grow closer to You, Father. We love You. You've been so good to us. It is our it is our heart's desire to be pleasing to You, God, to be one with the Spirit, God. Will You grant that in us and help us to be that, Father? We love You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We well,